0: Guys, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is huge. It's huge. It's massive. It's just an incredible thing. It's what makes Christianity, Christianity. It removes the power of death. The the Apostle Paul writes in in 1 Corinthians, Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your sting? What does that mean? Well, I, I can illustrate that by telling you a quick little story about myself. Some of you know this, but I am ridiculously and stupidly afraid of flying insects that sting. Like, it's, it's really, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, it's one of those irrational fears. The fear is more than the actual, you know, problem. Uh, and if you want to see a chunky dude r- move really fast just watch like a bee or something dive bomb me and I just lose my bearings. And I mean, I'll be in the middle of a conversation with someone they're like pouring out their heart to me. And then a yellow jacket gets near me. I'm like, I'll see y'all later. I am out of here. Jesus has got you in his hands. <laughs> I, and I love it. And I hope this doesn't offend anyone. I really like making sure that, uh, that yellow jackets and wasps and bees are dead. Um, it just makes me happy inside. I'm not a mean guy at all, but, but when, when a wasp has made its way into our home and I bring out the spray, you know what I'm talking about? And, and you spray, and thankfully they make that stuff for me 10 feet away because in my imagination, like he's coming for me. Well, not too long ago, the wasp came out, and it's about that time now, spring, and all the, the stingy things come out, and they're buzzing around the flowers and everything. And, and so the wasp had, had made a, a nest, on our front porch area, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the dad, I'm the man, I've got to, uh, got to take care of this, right? So I get up there with my ten foot spray, you know, real bold and brave, and and I get up there and I, you know, kind of <laughs> make sure the angle's right, forty five degrees. You know, I wish I'd pay more attention during physics to determine the right angle. And so I spray, and I'm like, yeah, you die. And you can tell, you know, actually read that this the spray actually, like, burns them. And I'm like, yes, that's how I want them to go. <laughs> Not peaceful. I want them to feel pain. And I evidently don't get all of them. And so my worst fears come true. And... <laughs> And some of the wasps are, like, coming, like, directly at me. And I'm like, ah! So I, I begin to spray the bottle uh, of wasp spray, and it's running out. It's, and it's, I'm like, ah! I mean, they're, look, they're coming right at me. And then finally, you can see him. He's struggling. He's flying. He's about five feet out from me. And, you know, boom. And I'm like, yeah, that's right! So... I don't like the stingy things. Why? Is it how they look? No. Were they mean to my parents? Not at all. (laughs) Why? Because they sting. Another time we were in Gatlinburg, in the Gatlinburg, Tennessee area, and there were bees all around our cabin. But they looked different, and I actually looked them up, and and they're they're carpenter bees. I don't know if you know this or not, but carpenter bees don't have any stingers. At least I think the guys don't. The girls do. Ladies, what's wrong with you all? And so I was sitting there I was on the porch, you know, hanging out whatever. And the carpenter bee comes up, he's buzzing around me. I wasn't afraid. Why? Because there was no sting. There was no sting. And death has an inherent sting to it, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, without the hope of Jesus Christ, without the hope of Jesus, you know, we watch a loved one pass away, or we look to our coming passing one day and we think, "Ouch, this is not fun. This is scary." But with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the sting of death has been removed. And you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Because you can know that he's got you. You can know that you will rise again. And the resurrection is so important. All of Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, then your faith is stupid. That's what he says. He goes, he goes then, then we should be pitied. You should feel sorry for me. Because Paul left a, a really great life. A, a lot of prestige. People knew him, right? He, he left that to go and tell about Jesus. The resurrection is reliable history. Something else, I'm, I'm, this is still my beginning. Don't worry, I won't take you take too long this morning. But the resurrection is reliable history. Uh, there were over 500 eyewitnesses that, that, uh, that declared Jesus' resurrection. Uh, on top of that, the way that the disciples in the early church operated um, just proves that it's true. Because, see, if they're lying about it, or even if they're not sure about it, at some point the joke is going to fall apart, right? At some point the lie is going to become unraveled. That point is usually when you're about to be crucified upside down. When you go, oh, 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 I was just kidding, you guys. We didn't really see him. We know he's dead, and and we're just trying to, you know, we're just trying to, you know, maybe have them write a book about us one day. Just please don't kill me. That didn't happen. The disciples were like, "We saw the dude. He's resurrected. His power is moving in me. His power can move in you." And they did it all the way to death. If, if the story of the resurrection were made up, we would see a totally different story. We would see something completely different than what we see. For one thing, if you were writing the story about the resurrection of Jesus and you were one of his disciples, you probably would have written in there that everyone else didn't believe, but I believed, right? That's a good story to write about yourself, but that's not at all The, the gospel's account that Jesus' closest followers didn't even believe. That's not how you write a resurrection scam. But it is the truth of what happened. And so to. I, I we're going to continue our It Is Written series this morning, and we're going to be focusing on the person of Jesus. Now, we've talked about Read the Word. That was two weeks ago. By the way, all of these sermons are available in the foyer at the Welcome Center or online at our website. Or on your if you are a podcaster and you listen to podcasts, we're, we'll be on there as well. And you can listen to the sermons. We talked about Read the Word. And how the word, it's, it's, it's precious, it's powerful, right? It, it's, it's protective for us. And then we also learned about how to apply the word. That was last week. The word is not just something to read and say, check, did that. It's something we apply to our lives. And this morning, we're going to talk about know the word. Now, I'm switching gears on you because the last two weeks have been about the written word of God. But I want to show you this morning... That Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word of God. And and we're going to look at the gospel of John. And I'm going to have the scripture up on the the screen behind me. You can turn there and follow along if you'd like. We're going to jump around. But this is uh, John's introduction of Jesus. Okay, so it's how he starts the letter that circulated to all the churches, that's telling about this guy Jesus, who was the Word of God. And I'm gonna I'm gonna look at a couple verses here. Um, So this is John's introduction of Jesus. Okay, the first verse he says, "In the beginning, the Word already existed." Now, (laughs) that doesn't make sense. In the beginning, so the beginning's the beginning. There's nothing before the beginning, right? except that the word already existed, okay? So the word, and you'll see it's referring to Jesus. So Jesus existed before the man we know, Jesus, that was on earth that died for your sins, okay? The word was with God, so he was in partnership, he was in relationship with the Father, and the word was God. He was both. Well, was Jesus with God? Yes. Was Jesus God? Yes. Yes. Was he there at the beginning? Before the beginning. Yeah. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Pretty awesome. We keep reading verses 10 through 12. It says this. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We keep reading. Verse 14. So... The word became human. Uh, the, the, uh, the King James or New King James says the word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness or grace and truth is the way one version puts it. it it's interesting. It says he, he, he made his home among us. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible. It says he moved into the neighborhood. I like that. It, it also says, um, now just a little, little history here. Okay. So when he says, uh, he became human and made his home among us, that word was tabernacled. You can look this up in, in, in Greek. The, the word's tabernacled. Now, Jesus, so y'all know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Okay, It was written in ancient Hebrew. But Jesus didn't read the ancient Hebrew when he read the Old Testament. Okay, For him, it was just the Testament. Right? There was no New Testament yet. And so he actually read it, read it in, in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. It's the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament. Are you with me? Did you check out yet? Please don't check out yet. Okay. There'll be many more opportunities for you to check out, but not yet. Um, and so the word, when the Old Testament, y'all know about the tabernacle, which was where the presence of the very God himself, God of the universe, lived in the tabernacle. That's the word that's used here. Same word that would have been in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. And so he, so he's the, the readers of this book would know that. And, and he's saying, look, you remember the tabernacle of old where, where the presence of God lived? Right? Well, that's how Jesus was. He tabernacled as well. And then uh, 118, it says, no one has ever seen God, the fullness of God, the entirety of who God is. The people had glimpses. Moses got to see his backside, which I don't know where the joy in that is necessarily, but he did see part of him. He saw, but no one's seen the entirety of God. But the unique one, the only begotten son is how one version puts it, who is himself God is near to the father's heart and he has revealed God to us. The, the King James says he's in the bosom of the Father, the, the, the chest of the Father. And that's why I like the way the New Living puts it. It's near, he's near to the Father's heart. That's our introduction to Jesus, the way that, that John puts it. It's, it's beautiful. It's, I encourage you, you can read all of John chapter 1. But I want to draw out just really quickly four things that you should know about Jesus. And, and here, here's the first one, okay? Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Now, the word for the word word is logos. Okay, The word that's used here in Greek is logos. And that means that we, we usually think logos means the written word. Well, not necessarily. It's actually much broader than that. Logos literally means the expression of thought. So you have a thought and you express it, either through speaking, through writing, through dancing, through painting, through music, right? However you decide to express it, that thought has now been made clear to everyone else. That's Logos. That's what Logos means. See, you can know about a person, but you don't really know them until they've expressed themselves to you. So have you ever like, seen someone in Walmart or Publix and you, you know who they are, but you don't know them? And then someone says, hey, do you know so-and-so? And so you are like, I know of them. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's how many of us were with God. That's how everyone up to the point of Jesus was with God. They knew a little bit about him. They knew some stuff about him. But we see that Jesus is the word. He is the expressed thought of the Father. And you can know God more fully now because of Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. See, no one has seen the fullness of God at any time. But the closest, most accurate, and recent representation of what God the Father is like is Jesus. It's Jesus. And so God, J- Jesus fulfilled the word, the expressed thoughts of God. He revealed the heart of God to everyone. So Vanilla Ice was right when he said word to your mother. To your father, to your brother, to your sister, to your your grandpa, to everyone, right? Jesus was the word to everyone. don't shake your head at me. I just had to work Vanilla Ice in there somewhere. I'll just Y'all look at John 5:39. John 5:39. Jesus is talking here and he says, you search the scriptures. You search the scriptures. The written word. It is the written word of God. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look... There's a written word, right? There's a written word, but there is the person of the word. And so don't miss the person of the word because you're too fixated on the written word. If the written word isn't pointing you to the person of the word, then you're not reading the word right. So Jesus is God's word. Here's the other thing Jesus is God. Now, I know, I know I don't need to probably spend a whole lot of time on this. I mean, you're in a Christian church, after all, on Easter. You probably think that at least we think Jesus is God, even if you haven't adopted that yet. But Jesus is God. John 10 30 says, The Father, Jesus is talking, the Father and I are one. He Well, that's not that. He didn't, he didn't actually say the words, I am God. Oh, yeah, he did. The Father and I are one. It means we're the same substance. We were inextricably tied together. He's putting himself on a level playing field with God. And in case there's any question as to whether or not the hearers of that statement thought that he was saying he was God, they all picked up stones to kill him. I said, that's blasphemy. That, that guy just said he was God. One of the many times they tried to kill Jesus because of the things he said about his own divinity. Now this is amazing. If Jesus is in fact God, and at the same time the word of God, then Jesus did something really crazy when he came to the earth. There's some good news and some bad news. The good news is Jesus became knowable. God became knowable through Jesus. Not just through some written laws, not just through some traditions that were passed down over the years, but through a person, God himself became knowable for the first time. Here's the bad news for Jesus, is for the first time, God became vulnerable. He said, in order to get their attention, in order to fully express myself, I'm going to come in the likeness of, I'm going to come in the same way that they are fashioned, as a man. But the problem is, is he made himself vulnerable. He made himself killable for the first time in doing this. You know, imagine you're, you're walking down, you know, downtown Thomasville, and you come across an alleyway, you glance over, and there's someone with a knife, and they're, 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 they're mugging and they're robbing. Thankfully, this doesn't happen much at all that I know of in our city, but, but they're, they're, they're mugging, right, and they've got a the knife, and they're threatening, and you see a lady, and she's taking off her purse, and And all of a sudden, you're just overcome with with righteous indignation. That's wrong. You should not mug people. In case you're wondering, you should not mug people, okay? If you need a takeaway from this morning, that's a good one, okay? And so you turn, and you go down the alleyway, and you say, Hey, man, you got to stop that. This is wrong. And then he turns the knife on you, and you're now vulnerable. You came to save You came to save someone from the knife, and the knife itself got turned on you. That's what Jesus did. When he came, he said, I am now accessible, but that means I'm now vulnerable. I'm now killable. God became vulnerable for your sake. He didn't have to. He wanted to. Here's the other thing. Jesus is God's salvation. Jesus is is God's salvation. So not only is Jesus the word of God, not only is Jesus God, but Jesus is God's salvation. 1 John 4.14 says, Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Now, the guy who wrote this, John, he, he had changed his mind. He didn't always think that. In the beginning, he thought that the Father had sent the Son to be the Savior of Israel. But then they began to see, holy cow, Jesus is saving people outside of our culture, outside of our religion, outside of our people, outside of our family. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on the Gentiles, that means non-Jews, just like on the Jews. And so he's, he's, he's now proclaiming that Jesus is Savior of the world. You know, Jesus is God's salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, I like to call this the salvation equation. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I need a couple of volunteers. If you'll come up, Isaac, really quick, really quick. Take this and stand Right there facing them. Eva, come on, baby. This is what happens when you're my kids. You just get voluntold for stuff. All right, someone else. Lily, you want to come? Zach, come on, buddy. All right, and I need, I need two more. Two more people. Real quick. Zach, come on, buddy. Yep, there you go. You too. Any math people in here? Me neither. Okay, so I, I got along in math, barely. This is what I like to call the salvation equation, okay? It's based on this verse. Uh, and I, I've done this before. I will continue to do this because I think it clears up so much about what God wants for you, okay? But it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, okay? So in other words, if we boil this down to an equation... Grace plus faith equals salvation. Grace plus faith equals salvation. If you want to know how you get saved, how someone gets saved, grace is the first part. Grace is God's ability on your behalf. Imagine you're at a door. You're supposed to be inside, but the door is locked. You can't get in. You need help. You don't have the key, right? All the windows are closed. And so God, in his grace, unlocks the door for you, okay? And says, okay, you can go in now. But you aren't in yet, are you? The door's been unlocked, but you're not where you need to be yet. What do you need to do? You need to respond to the grace with faith, okay? So grace is God's movement on your behalf. Faith is your response to God's grace. And you walk through the door, which brings about salvation. Does does that make sense, okay? So grace plus faith... God's activity plus your activity of responding to him. You can't respond to him unless he goes first. Salvation is his idea. Grace plus faith equals salvation. Now, many of you are thinking, well, don't you have to act right? Well, sure. Of course you have to act right. But here's the problem. You can't act right. (laughs) I mean, come on. If you could have, you would have by now, right? And so we call that works. We call that good works. Good deeds, acting like a believer, showing fruit of, of spiritual growth. We call these things works, okay? And so, works, absolutely. You are supposed to act right, but only after your faith is mixed with God's grace bringing about salvation. Now you can get to work. See, it says, not of works. Not of works, lest anyone manage to boast. Now, what many of us grew up, hey, Willow, come with me this way. Keep going, keep going. You're doing great, sweetheart. Y'all just settle, come back and just settle in, right? perfect y'all make room for her very good excellent now this is the way many of you grew up in church this is they may not have preached it this way but this is the idea that you got was that god is a good and holy and just god and you need to believe it but you also need to get you need to you need to fix yourself because sonny god can't be around your sin if he couldn't be around your sin how could he ever save someone and so we a lot of us grew up with, with God's God's so good and you need to but you need to act right. Well, is it true that you need to act right? Yeah, but you don't need to act right in order to be saved. You act right. Come back this way. Come back this way. You act right because you've been saved. Being saved, the salvation is what gives you the uh, the ability to even do what's right to begin with. Amen. All right, y'all give them a hand. Cool. All right. So Jesus is God's salvation. Here's the last thing I want you to know about Jesus. Jesus is God's example for us. Jesus is God's example for us. Since he sent himself in human form as a man... He now gives us the pattern for humanity. He now can show us how that we should live as human beings. We're supposed to follow Jesus. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, how many of you want to be Jesus' follower? I really hope so. You're in the right place. If anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways... Take up your cross and follow me. Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. Now, we've, we've, got, we've gotten a little bit religious about this take up your cross stuff. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll be in a car wreck or something bad will happen. You get sick, you get the flu, and you're like, well, this is my cross that the Lord's giving." No, that's not what he's talking about, Okay. You got the flu, it stinks, but it's part of life, okay? Now, I pray and God can heal you. He'll make it better, okay? But, but this is not your cross to bear. Let's not get all religious, okay? What, what, take up your cross. That phrase, when Jesus said take up your cross, think about it. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. So he wasn't saying even, you know, follow me in the way that I have gone to the cross. He was saying death, The cross was a well known means of capital punishment by the Romans back then. He could just as easily, in in our in in our culture today, said said, said, follow me, get in the electric chair, and follow me. He, He could have just as easily said, take a take the syringe for lethal injection and follow me. He was talking about capital punishment. Okay? He he was talking about death. In other words, he's saying, you've got to follow me, not just believe the right things about me, but do what I did. And and I was praying about it, and, and, and this is what Jesus lived to serve. He served to die, and he died to resurrect. The reason he came, Scripture says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So he lived to serve, and then he served all the way unto death. Scripture says, even to the death of the cross. And then he died, not just to die, make us feel sorry for him. Oh, poor Jesus, we killed him with our sin. No, he died to resurrect to new life. And now he invites you to join in. You see how that works? So you get to live to serve. You get to serve unto death. Not, not physical death, but, but, but to, the, to the death of your own will, to the death of your own flesh. You serve to death, and then, and then you get to resurrect. You, the scripture says that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. See, this is our example, and we have the opportunity to resurrect with Jesus. You know, some of you have put yourself up on a cross. The cross of condemnation, the cross of shame. I need you to come down from there. If you're a Jesus follower, you will come down because he came down off the cross. And he resurrected to new life. And it's, it's time for us to embrace resurrection. It's time for us to, to get off the cross and to say, I'm going to resurrect in the same way that Jesus did. So here's my final question to you this morning. Is Do you know Jesus, the word of God? Do you know Jesus? the word. Come on, let's stand for prayer.